Good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Are y'all awake? 10.45? You got to sleep in. Come on, we got to get rolling, okay? Uh, my name is Trevor Miller. I'm one of the pastors here at Mount Horeb, and I consider it a great honor this morning to be able to come and spend time with you as we open up God's Word and allow Him to teach us something new that we might be transformed to the people that He wants for us to be. It's the reason why we gather each and every Sunday morning is to hear from God. You know, last week we started a brand new sermon series called I Am, as Janice just said, and um, we've been focusing on the seven different I Am statements that Jesus makes in the book of John, because each one reveals so much about who he is to us. Now, if you were here last week, you heard from uh, Dr. Bill Jones, who, by the way, is one of the best Bible teachers I've ever been around. I mean, a fantastic message. He was talking to us about how Jesus makes the statement that he is the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And he told us that Jesus is the one who nourishes us. He's the one who sustains us. That's the meaning behind what Jesus says here. And also that we have to be careful not to just seek the gift, but to seek the giver, the one who gives the good gifts. And so um, great message last week. I feel an honor to be able to take us to the next step here. Each one of these seven statements made by Jesus in the book of John reveals something about his character and his nature. Each one builds upon the other. Um, it, it may be a bit of a challenge for us to be able to hear this fresh and anew because some of us that maybe have grown up within the church for a very long time, you've probably heard the I am statements a million times. Like you've seen and presented to you in certain ways, maybe heard in a message or in a Bible study. And the challenge then for us is to be able to hear it with, with a fresh ear, to hear it fresh and new for us today. And so I wanna encourage all of us this morning to have a posture of curiosity to hear what Jesus is saying here and presenting to us the way maybe those in the first century would hear it as his disciples, as the crowd who was there as Jesus was speaking. Because these revelations about Jesus, they are powerful, they're encouraging, they're astounding. Some of them are controversial, but Jesus has a lot to say here. And so whenever we get to know someone, really truly get to know them, we have to pay attention to the things they present about themselves, the claims they make about themselves. So my wife and I are about to celebrate 15 years of marriage. And so after 15 years, if I remember back to when we first started dating, there was you know, certain things that we did to get to know each other. And one of the first ones was like talking late into night, like past midnight. So for any students that are on being descriptive, not prescriptive, okay? But we would speak till late in the morning and, and have conversations getting to know one another. We'd go to Starbucks and sit down and have conversations to get to know one another. And I wanted to know about her, like things that made her tick, the things she was interested in, like what made her her. And some of the ways I could tell the things that were really special to her, she would start by saying, listen, I am somebody who blank. You know, so she would say something like, I am somebody who doesn't really like to dance. I'm like, me too. What else? And so we learn more. I'm somebody who really likes to eat good food. I'm like, me too. I'm someone who is like a, a big college football fan. It's like, we should get married. This is perfect. And so the more we got to know each other, the more we spent time with one another, there were certain revelations that were made. I had to listen intently to learn more about who she was. After 15 years of marriage, this is how we have the kind of relationship we have. We've never grown tired of learning about one another because life has a way of shaping and molding us and changing us. If we're not careful, as spouses in the room, if we don't continually learn more about one another, then one day we'll wake up and have no clue who we're married to. And the same thing is true with our relationship with Jesus. If you've been in the church for a while, sometimes if we're not careful, when we read God's word, when we see what Jesus says about himself, it becomes kind of white noise. We've heard it so often, it no longer impacts us. And so this morning, I wanna encourage you, as we jump into this I am statement this morning, may you have fresh ears to hear it. 
you know, a fresh spirit to receive it today because Jesus is revealing something about himself. So today I wanna to look in the book of John and I want to look specifically at Jesus' statement when he says, I am the door. I am the door. Now to fully grasp the depth of each one of these seven I am statements, we're going to implement a method of Bible study called the law of first mention. The law of first mention. So you can do this at home, anywhere you go. When you're reading the Bible, if you come across something in the scriptures that feels significant to you, like you read it and you think, wow, there's, there's probably some depth here, there's some stuff here, then you can implement the law of first mention. Simply what it means is if you read something, you ask yourself, where have we first heard this before? Like, where does this show up within the scriptures as well? I'll give you an example. So at Easter, very soon we come to celebrate Easter, the fact that Jesus rises from the dead in a garden is significant. Where else have we heard about a garden? The very beginning. So what took place in the beginning, Jesus is now reinstating at his very end. There's a connection there. So when Jesus, in the, God, in the book of John, begins to make these I am statements, we need to ask the question, where have we heard I am statements before? Where have you heard someone in the scriptures talk about I am? Anyone? Good job. Exodus. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament to get a really good view of what Jesus is trying to accomplish and do here, you have to recognize that in Exodus chapter 3 verse 14 is the first place we hear someone talking about I am. So the context of Exodus chapter 3 is, Jesus, is God is speaking to Moses. The Israelite people have been enslaved for 400 years. Moses is nervous about taking this message to Pharaoh to release God's people. So he says to God, God, when I go and speak to the people, who should I say has sent me? And here's what chapter three, verse 14 says. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am. So this this concept here in Exodus chapter three gives a lot of meaning to what Jesus is trying to say in these seven I am statements. Now, if we look back in Exodus chapter three, the actual Hebrew language, the original language of this phrasing, I am, literally means I will be who I will be, which clarifies everything, doesn't it? What does I am mean? I will be who I will be. Essentially, what God is saying here is this. It's an expression of ultimate an ultimate statement of self-sufficiency. It is a statement of self-existence. It's, it's, a, it's a statement of immediate presence. God's existence is not contingent upon anyone else. His plans are not contingent upon any circumstances. He promises that he will be who he will be. That is, he will be the eternally constant God. He stands ever-present, unchangeable, completely sufficient in himself to do what he wills to do and to accomplish what we, he wills to accomplish. So, for Jesus to use this language in John, in the book of John, it's an absolute first century, ancient Near Eastern mic drop. When Jesus says these things, he's not just saying, I am the bread of life, or I am the door, the resurrection, the true vine, the good shepherd, the light of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. What he is revealing to us in the statement is that he is the self-sufficient, the self-existent, the eternally present, the all-powerful God of the universe depicted through these everyday experiences. It's a big deal. 
What Jesus is saying in the book of John to the first hearers would have been monumental. It would have shifted everything. And when we hear it in the same kind of way, it can do the same thing for us. So today we're gonna take a look at John chapter 10 and it begins with Jesus teaching this crowd of people who have gathered around. Here's what it says in John chapter 10, verse one through six. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now I wanna make something clear really quickly, a little aside. Uh, the passage that we're reading right here, the reason it says ESV next to it is because I'm using a translation called the English Standard Version for what I'm reading here. Typically, I would use the NIV, the, the, a different translation. There's multiple translations that you can read in the scriptures. The reason I've chosen ESV is because the wording in it is when Jesus calls himself the door. In the NIV, he calls himself the gate. It's not really any big difference. It's just uh, the wording's a little better. Now, one thing that's missed, though, in the ESV that's present in the NIV is when Jesus says this first statement, truly, truly, I say to you, the NIV says to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders. It's lost in the ESV. But the context here is that Jesus is speaking to the Jewish religious leaders of the day, the religious elite when he's giving this instruction to them. So, bit of a side, here we go. We're coming back to it. Then Jesus says, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes out before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they don't know the voice of the stranger. This figure of speech that Jesus uses, uses with them, they didn't understand. They didn't understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus begins this conversation by talking about shepherds and sheep. There's a lot going on in this passage and it jumps around a little bit. So we're gonna try to unpack it a little bit together. The entire context of Jesus's message here though is given in agrarian language, like with the backdrop of agriculture. Because almost everyone who would have been in the crowd that Jesus was speaking to would have been farmers or fishermen or herdsmen. And they would, have, they would have made their living off the land, like with crops in the field and catches in a net or livestock in a fold. And so though much of Lexington County still is very rural, maybe the closest most of us get to a sheep is like lamb chops. And so for a lot of us, the context of what Jesus is talking about here can get kind of missed on us. It can be a bit foreign. But for the first listeners, they would have had this cultural backdrop to everything that Jesus is saying. So this story in verse one through six and on to verse 10, this story is about sheep and shepherds. It's about thieves and robbers, and it's about open and closed doors. It's about sheep and shepherds, thieves and robbers, and open and closed doors. So to begin, it's about sheep. Now, sheep are and were animals that are completely dependent upon a shepherd. They don't have any natural defenses for themselves. They have no claws. They have no sharp teeth. I don't know anybody that's afraid of a sheep. Um, sheep were completely prey to any kind of predator. So to make matters worse, though, too, sheep are not the smartest animals in the barnyard. 
You ever seen the meme when the sheep is stuck head first in the ground and someone comes and pulls them out and immediately they go and run and jump right back into the same hole they were just in? I mean, sheep, they're not the most intelligent. I'm not trying to like start a fight with any sheep lovers in the room. I'm just saying this is a backdrop to what's being talked about here. So I have a bit of experience with this too because in middle school, my family, I actually don't know why, and my mom's in the room, she might be able to clarify this, but we had a sheep that lived in our backyard in this, this little pen. His name was Samson. And Samson was a very mean sheep. And um, he lived up to his name like as a ram because he would headbutt anything and everything. And so my dad would go and, and mow his pen sometimes on the mower, a riding mower, and this sheep would come up and headbutt the back of the mower and break all the lights out of the mower when my dad would be mowing. My cousins and I, we would run through the pen, we would bring a box with us because he would come and try to headbutt us and we would keep him away with the box. Occasionally he would make it all the way in and knock us down. But it was a bit dangerous to do this kind of thing. But I know firsthand that sheep was not very intelligent. Like you don't ram the back of a mower when someone's, that's just not something that you do. And so this is the backdrop to what Jesus is talking about with shepherds and sheep. So sheep were completely dependent upon a shepherd for safety, for food, for guidance, for survival. A sheep was dependent upon a close connection to a good shepherd. But with all the things that sheep are not good at, one of the things they are very good at was being able to distinguish between the voices of different shepherds. Sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And so they would be able to distinguish it among many different voices. And this is an important piece of information to understanding what Jesus means here in verse five, or sorry, in all the verses, five different times within these 10 verses, Jesus refers to the sheep's ability to know the voice of the shepherd. And in verse four in particular, Jesus says the shepherd would come and lead his sheep out because they would recognize his voice. So to understand the significance of this phrasing, we have to have a bit of understanding and knowledge about the way shepherds would keep their sheep. So a shepherd would lead sheep nomadically through the countryside, but whenever they would come to a city, let's say Jerusalem, and they would come in, there would be a pin in the middle of the city that would be set up, maybe five to seven feet tall, made of stone, and this shepherd, maybe other shepherds, would come and lead their sheep all into one pen together. So let's say I've got 30 or 40 sheep, they would all go in together, I would go find some place to sleep for the night, and at the door, it would be completely enclosed except for one area that would be open. And there was someone called a gatekeeper who would be paid to stay there to make sure the sheep were safe for the night and no one got in to hurt or harm them or take them. Now in the morning, when that shepherd would wake up, they would come back to this pen to retrieve their sheep. I'll show you a picture of what this would maybe have looked like. This is an actual picture from the first century of these things, just kidding. Artist rendition, which you can see this one door was the only opening into this sheep pen and you would have a gatekeeper there. And they would keep the sheep safe until the morning. And when the shepherd would come back, he would come back to the gatekeeper. The gatekeeper would move out of the way. But if you're a shepherd, how are you going to get 30 to 40 sheep out of all the flocks that are maybe in there, just yours? How do you get them to come to you? It's easy. You just call out to them. So the shepherd would walk out and call out to his sheep. And literally, to this day, only his flock would look up and then leave with him outside of the pen. Any other sheep of another shepherd wouldn't even lift their head. And the shepherd would lead them out. That's how he would lead them. Now, this relationship between sheep and shepherd is used many different places within the scriptures to describe the kind of relationship that God wants and has with those who love him and who follow him. 
So in the Old Testament, King David writes in Psalm 23, he says, God is my shepherd. God is my shepherd. Jesus, when he looks out upon the crowds in the gospels, it says he sees them like sheep without a shepherd. So before we go any further, it begs the question, like if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus in the room today, if you are someone who has put their faith, hope, and trust in Christ, how well do you know the voice of the good shepherd? When Jesus speaks to you, can you recognize it from all of the other voices that come at you every single day? So let's be honest, we live in a culture where there's a lot of voices vying for our attention. Sometimes it happens in our own head. Sometimes it's friendships or relationships that we have around us. Sometimes it's social media. It could be all kinds of voices coming at us. It is imperative that as sheep who have a good shepherd, that we know the voice of the shepherd, the way he sounds, the way he speaks to us, the way he feels about us. Because then and only then can we truly follow him. Like, do you recognize how vulnerable you are without being connected to a loving shepherd named Jesus? How closely are you following to him? The way you get to know someone's voice in the ancient Near East is the same way you do it today. Like in your family, those that you love, the way you get to know someone's voice is because you spend time with them. If you're a shepherd walking through the countryside with your sheep, you're speaking to them all of the time. And these sheep know your voice because you spend time with them. Same thing is true. When I come home to my house and I walk in and I say, I'm home, no one has to say, who is that? Everyone knows my voice. And so when I walk in and I say, I'm home, my children come running. My wife doesn't harm me because she doesn't think I'm an intruder. Are there any men in the room that have to have a bell that you wear at your house every single day because you exist in that home every day, but you still terrify your wife when you come home? That's my house. But the shepherds would speak to the sheep and the sheep would know their voice. Sheep need a shepherd and the shepherd takes care of the sheep. So the story that Jesus talks about is about shepherd and sheep, but it's also, it's also about thieves and robbers. It's also about thieves and robbers. And so though Jesus tells this beginning of the story in the first six verses, it says that many did not understand what he was saying. So he clarifies in verse seven through verse 10. Here's what Jesus says then after that. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Then verse 10, probably a verse that you've heard before. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy but I come to give life and life more abundantly. So woven all throughout this passage, all 10 of these verses, this message that Jesus is preaching is a commentary about what he calls thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. Now the two Greek words that are used here, they, they have differing degrees to them. So a thief would have been someone who committed some sort of petty crime. Maybe they stole something to have something to eat or something but a robber was one who would inflict violence that would try to take what they want. So thieves and robbers. Um, when I was growing up, my parents worked at the organization called Mercy Ships. And so in the summertime, when I was in middle school, pretty much every summer I would be in Mexico multiple times a summer as my mom would lead groups of 80, 60, 80 plus students and leaders from around the country into do missions. So pretty much every summer, I was there multiple times, spending time in Mexico with my family and all these different individuals. 
And I remember one trip, we were in Mexico, Monterey, Mexico, and we were sleeping at this orphanage. And so we were sleeping one night, about to serve the next day. And during the middle of the night, there were three men who broke into one of the houses that we were sleeping in. And no one was aware. And they went and rummaged through some of our stuff and went to find some things. And while they were in the house, one of our uh, team members woke up. And when they woke up, it startled the three men. And so they ran out of the house carrying whatever they had found uh, as they were rummaging through things. And they also had things on their feet because we had left our shoes nicely placed at the front door and they had taken some of those shoes, but they left their own shoes in place, nicely placed by the front door, which is very nice of them. And there's probably still someone in Monterey, Mexico today running around in like Adidas Sambas still that I had left there by the door. But I remember this experience. We woke up the next morning and found out what had happened. I mean, it was a bit jarring, a bit, a bit rattled for all of us. And we slept the rest of the night kind of one eye open the rest of the week in the same kind of way. Because there's something that happens when you recognize someone has come in the cover of night and you didn't know it. And so in chapter 10, Jesus, three different times, verse one, verse eight, and verse 10, he references these individuals who pose a great threat to the flock. Now, contextually, as I said at the very beginning, Jesus is talking about the Jewish religious leaders of the day who were, as Jesus says, trying to enter into the sheep flock by climbing over or sneaking in rather than going through the front door. You see, to the religious leaders, Jesus was posing a threat to the religious system that was established in that day, which required strict adherence to the law of God, unwavering dedication to the Pharisaical leadership, and that the religious elite began to act then as thieves and robbers in Jesus' eyes, who were coming to take sheep from the protected flock and family that Jesus was building based on grace and not law, based on truth and not confusion, based on freedom and not control. And so Jesus is using this powerful visual both to warn the followers of those who were in the fold to make sure they were aware of those who might try to sneak in, but also trying to warn those who were trying to lure the sheep out with false teaching and trying to harm them by taking advantage of them. But Jesus says in verse five that the sheep don't know the voice of the stranger and so they'll never follow them, but yet they try. They only respond to one voice, the voice they know. Now this, to be clear, this is still a very present danger in our culture today. I mean, Jesus addresses it in his own culture, but this is something that is still very prevalent in our churches today. There are many among us who would love to come and make their way into the flock and take advantage of the church by convincing them there's some other way to God besides Jesus. Like you don't have to go through the door. There's other ways to make this happen. If you're good enough and you work really, really hard, you can earn a relationship with God. You can find this abundant life that is offered. It's not through Jesus, it's through other ways and other means. But that's dangerous. And Jesus warns against it. And so these are thieves and robbers who are trying to convince of other ways. I'll just be really clear this morning. TikTok is full of thieves and robbers. At the risk of sounding like the old guy, you know, yelling at the sky, like TikTok is. Many people who are uninformed or potentially even malicious, they're trying to peddle information as if it's truth. It's just not. And too often, particularly our young people, buy into this. It's thieves and robbers. I mean, college campuses today are full of thieves and robbers. We'd love to convince you there's some other way to this abundant life, some other way to God. And it's not through the front door of Jesus. It's through a different means. It's dangerous. And Jesus would speak to it. There are many in our pulpits today who do the same thing. 
would convince us, you don't have to trust in Jesus. There's other ways to do this. There's other information maybe you don't know about. And Jesus says, be careful. Because they don't come in through the front door. They sneak into the sheep pen. They find other ways in. And then at the very end of this conversation, verse 10, the verse you've probably heard of, Jesus then says this, the evil one comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. Now, when I was growing up, I was always taught this verse, verse 10 is about who? Satan, right? The devil, the evil one. That's who's coming to kill, steal, and destroy. I'll be very clear this morning. That is actually true. You don't have to go very far within the scriptures to determine that the evil one, the devil himself, he hates you, he hates God, and he will do anything to try to thwart your life, to wreck a marriage, to destroy whatever you're trying to grow into. I mean, he's dedicated to that. But verse 10, it's not talking about that. Verse 10 is not referring to the devil or Satan. In fact, if you look in context, the evil one that's being discussed here, it's the thieves and robbers that Jesus is talking about. They've come to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the thief has come to do. So I'm convinced of this, that anytime someone is successful in their effort of causing us as the sheep of God to turn away from Jesus, even though we know his voice, even though it's the only door to salvation in life, it is a form of stealing. Stealing hope, joy, growth. It's a form of killing the transformative power available to us in Christ, the spiritual confidence that we get in Christ it's a form of destroying eternal truth, created order, redemptive opportunity. And if we're not careful, we find ourselves losing all of these things. When someone is successful in doing this in our lives, they are a thief who's attempting to climb into the sheep pen to avoid entering through the front door altogether. But within the passage, Jesus compares the thief then to someone else. He calls him the good shepherd, the good shepherd Jesus. He's come to bring life. Rather than coming to steal, kill, and destroy, the shepherd comes to protect, revive, and preserve. He does the exact opposite. It's the very reason the shepherd is so dedicated to his sheep, to lead them into the pen, to call them out in the morning. He's dedicated to keeping every single sheep safe. Now, in a couple of weeks, I had to really temper my uh, interest here because there was other places I wanted to go in this conversation, but in three weeks, you gotta come back. Daniel Stavanis will be on the stage teaching on the next piece of this passage about this good shepherd. But to really understand the context, we have to understand at least this. The good shepherd loves his sheep. will do whatever he can to protect and take care of them. One of my greatest joys in life right now is meeting with a group of 11 middle school boys and a couple of dads on Wednesday mornings at Eggs Up Grill. So 6.45, every Wednesday morning, there's a group of us that gathered there together. My son had some friends that he played football with, and he said, hey, can we do a Bible study together? And when your son asks to do a Bible study, you say yes. So we did. And so there's 11 middle school boys. We gather together. We eat good food, and then we read the Bible together. We're, I think, through chapter 17 of Matthew. We've met, we've met since, like, September, every Wednesday, except for when I was in Africa. It is, it is my greatest joy to sit with these boys around these tables and, and talk about God's word. And here's why. Because I see this table as a sheepfold. And there's a good shepherd who loves these boys more than he can think or imagine. And my prayer for them is they would learn the voice of the good shepherd. They'd be able to distinguish his voice from every other voice. 
they would recognize there are some who would love to hurt and harm. But instead, they can turn to the shepherd who's come to protect and to revive and to preserve them. I mean, that's my greatest goal. I pray for them all the time. These, these dads who come and meet, the mats, there's two of them, who come and meet with us on Wednesday mornings as well. I mean, to watch them care for and love these boys, it is a gift. It's a gift. And I know that when these boys leave eggs up with full bellies and, and reading the Bible and they go into middle school, it's one of the most dangerous places they could go into on a Wednesday morning. You could not pay me enough to go back to middle school. I would not do it. It's a dangerous place. It's full of thieves and robbers. It's full of individuals, whether they know it or not, that would love to convince these 11 boys that there is some other way to the goodness in life, the abundant life, to Jesus himself, aside from the only door. You can get there some other way. And so when we gather, when we spend time together, my prayer for them would be this, as I would pray for all of us, that we would know the voice of our shepherd. We would drown out any other voice that would try to get in. We would trust in the abundant life that's offered to us through him. So this passage is about sheep and shepherds. It's about thieves and robbers, but it's also about open and closed doors. And so in verse nine, Jesus makes this statement very clear when he says, I am the door. I am the door. To understand the nuance behind what Jesus is saying, we have to realize that in this passage, all 10 verses, he talks about kind of, let's call them city shepherds, and then he talks about the country shepherds. Any city shepherds in the room? And then the country shepherds. So like Lexington shepherds and Gilbert shepherds, right? So when he's talking about this, the city shepherds, when they would come into Jerusalem, there would be a pen available to them there with a gatekeeper at the door. But if you are a country shepherd out in the countryside with your sheep, when it came to nighttime, you had to make a pen yourself with branches and sticks and rocks, either circular or rectangular. You would lay it all out for your sheep to be, to be safe during the, the nighttime. And then it says, um, Jesus calls himself the door because the shepherd would then lay down in the only entrance to the pen to protect the sheep. So if anyone, anything was gonna try to come and take these sheep, they would have to go through the shepherd first. Not only that, it's not about closing the door to those who are dangerous, it's about opening to the sheep as well. If there was a sheep who had wandered off and had come back, that shepherd would get out of the way and welcome them back into the fold. So Jesus says, I am the door. This is the picture that we have in our mind of what this means, laying down in the only entrance, one way in, one way out. I love this illustration because what Jesus is talking about is so true in our culture as well. The front door is a sacred space for us. I mean, think about it. If someone comes to your front door, we probably all got cameras, you know, watching to make sure everything's cool if somebody comes to the front door. There's some of us, like, when someone comes to the front door, we are so welcoming. Door open. Come on in. You're welcome to be here in this house. When I grew up, I grew up near one of my grandparents, and they had an open door policy that say. So if someone came to the house to say hello, I mean, it was like open door, come on in. If I brought a friend with me to come and spend time at the house, it was open door, welcome them in, seat at the table, food in front of them. I mean, it was open door policy. Now in my house, if I wanna bring somebody to the house, it's gonna have at least a couple days of preparation because the house has gotta look good, right? But an open door policy is one that's just like, hey, you come in anytime. If you need something, you are welcome here. You're loved here. And so this is what Jesus is talking about when it comes to the door. It's not just about who is kept out in terms of the thieves and robbers, but before the thieves and robbers are ever kept out, first and foremost, the sheep are let in. 
they're welcomed in. I just returned from Liberia, West Africa with Janice on Monday night. I'm still recovering and trying to get sleep and get my mind back right. And while we were there, it was one of the greatest experiences getting to see the generosity of this church, as Janice said. Just a really quick, to be able to cut the ribbon on six new homes and hand the keys to families that the community has decided need these homes more than anybody else, it is beautiful. And all these homes, all 12 that we've built there, have toilets inside, to which all of us were like, what's the big deal? What's well, a big deal? Because every other home in Bowie has no toilet on the inside. Jerry Kula, our partner, we were there and he was speaking to some of the young people that were in the room, all of us together, and he was saying to them, our goal is to get people out of poverty. And he said, here's the standard. Here's how you know we're making a difference. Toilets in the house. That's how you know you're getting out of poverty. And so these homes that we're building, Jerry has made a rule in the community. You cannot build a house unless there's a toilet inside anymore. It's sanitation. It's healthy for the family. And so he makes it very, very clear. We also, while we were there, got to cut the ribbon on two brand new bridges that this church contributed to to make happen. Both these locations people had died at because of how dangerous it was to cross the river. And so when we were there, there was all kinds of officials, people from the U.S. Embassy who had come as we cut ribbons and prayed and dedicated these bridges, ceremonially drove across them for the first time. And we've connected Bowie now to other villages around who can come and get health care from the clinic there, who can come and be able to share with. It is special. And it was such an amazing week to go and be able to experience all of this. From the day that we got to go dedicate one of the bridges, we were all standing around having this conversation. I want to show you a picture of this. There's a guy in the very middle, you can see him. He's got a little bowl in his hand. It's like white or yellow little bowl. And that's Jerry Kula, who's our, our partner there in Liberia. And what he's doing is he's explaining to everybody who's standing around that to us who have come from the States, he's handing us this bowl that has something in it called a Kula nut, okay? So the first time I went to Liberia, this same thing happened. We had a, some friends from a village who came and met with us and they handed us a bowl and there was a nut inside. They took it, they bit it, they handed it to us for us to bite as well. It's an expression of, of welcome. And so I didn't know any difference. So, I mean, he took a pretty big bite out of the Kula nut. So I bit it, bit of a mistake. Uh, it's very bitter, very bitter. And so I realized the more this went on, everybody knew that would come with more Kula nuts. I began to learn to nibble. And so I've learned to nibble whenever this would happen. And so Jerry was expressing what this meant though. It was beautiful. The whole time he was talking, all I could think about was this message. He said, this Kula nut, when we share this with you, it's an expression of our open hearts to you. It's an expression of our welcome to you, our generosity towards you, that you are welcome in our hearts and ours and yours. It's beautiful. As bitter as it might be, I'll still share it with them because it means something. You see, when, when Jesus tells this story, Yes, there's a warning about thieves and robbers, but I would say there's also this really big, important piece that the, the door who is Christ is open for us to come in and find safety. Is open to us to come in by his love, his grace, his mercy. He will protect you. He will revive you. He will preserve you. He wants you to experience the fullness of life. There's one other discussion within the scriptures that I think is interesting when it comes to this. Another discussion about doors. So John chapter 10, you have this piece, Jesus is the door. And then at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, there's another discussion. 
And it falls within this seven letters that are going to seven different churches. And in chapter three, verse 20, Jesus is speaking here in Revelation chapter three. And he's speaking through a vision to John. And here's what John writes, 320. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, what? Hears my voice. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. They with me. So so Jesus is the door, but according to Revelation chapter three, he's also standing at the door and knocking and waiting patiently. There's a painting, a famous painting by a man named William Holman Hunt. It was painted in the 1800s. In our sanctuary, we actually have a depiction of this exact painting uh, on one of our stained glass. It's my favorite stained glass in the whole sanctuary. And on that stained glass is a picture of Jesus standing at a wooden door and he's knocking, he's waiting. The interesting thing about the picture is the door that he's knocking at, there's no handle on the outside of the door. The only handle is on the inside. So when Jesus comes and knocks at the, the heart of each and every one of us, when he waits at the door, the only way this door opens is by us opening it from the inside and allowing Christ into our life. So Jesus is the door. He's the only way to salvation, the only way to true life, the only way to truly live. But at the same time, we must open our hearts and welcome Jesus in. He's a perfect gentleman. He knocks at the door. He promises if we open it, he will come in. He will dine with us. He will spend time with us. When we hear his voice, we should not wait, but open it freely to him. So this morning, I believe the good shepherd Jesus wants to welcome you into the fold to protect, revive, and preserve you. At the same time, if you sense this morning that Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, open it up to him. Allow him into your life. It will change everything. So I'd invite you this morning, if you would, would you join me in prayer? Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you are the door. You you are the way to fullness of life. You, You are the way for us to live the way that God wants for us to live. And so, God, I pray that right now, if you've revealed that to us, God, if we sense in our hearts that we want that, if we sense in our hearts that you are standing at the door and you are knocking and patiently waiting, I pray this morning, God, would be the day that we would open that door to you. We would invite you in, open arms. And we would allow you to work in our life in a way that only you can. Father, I'm fully confident that when we know the voice of our shepherd, when we live in the fold, when you live in our hearts, that's the way that marriages change. That's the way that people change. That's the way the world changes. So Father, we welcome it today. We ask God that you would speak to us. Give us the boldness and courage to respond. God, would you protect us from those who might cause us to second guess guess your goodness, your trustworthiness. Help us to know, God, that you are the door, the way to fullness of life. 
God, we love you. It's in your name we pray.